Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Team building perspective, from a roster management perspective, from a resource allocation perspective, from a cap management perspective, from a PR perspective, their field is bad. They do not have a stronghold in the fan base. They consistently make bad PR moves. They consistently make bad football moves. We like Jake Rudin. We think he's a perfectly cromulent head coach. Just nothing about this 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 team is well put together. It's well sculpted. It's built out correctly. I mean, in this article for The Athletic, Mark uses the word replace regarding defensive coordinator Greg Minuski three different times in the opening paragraph. Like how mediocre can we be and how many times can we find the same ways to lose? Mason Foster yelling at fans on Twitter. Like it was, yeah, it got real weird there at right. the end of the season. And then there's the whole Swearinger drama where Swearinger was basically like, this team yeah. sucks and it's not good to play here. I don't like the way the roster's being managed, and they cut him. So the biggest drop from season to season in adjusted net yards per attempt in the passing game out of any team in the NFL from 2017 to 2018. They were also bottom five for the frequency in which their passing attempts resulted in first downs. The Dwayne Haskins-Ben Roethlisberger comparisons were unintelligible. He has never even remotely played like Roethlisberger. In fact, the word Chernobyl probably comes to mind. If Wes Martin or, Roy, or Ross Piercebacher can't beat out Eric Flowers at left guard, the team You're is in trouble. Caveman-like manner in which they have approached free agency. Yeah, if you can't beat out Eric Flowers at left guard, redshirt the season. There's a lot of moving parts with this team, and I'm not sure what holds it together on the offensive side of the ball other than Jay Gruden. You, you're, you're starting Mason Foster and John Bostick. Uh, I will be throwing it to the tight ends from the running back. Can they really string together consistently a solid run? I don't think so. And if they do, I don't even know what that looks like. Redshirt the season. So again, last five years, they ranked as the 24th, 31st, 28th, 32nd, and 24th unhealthiest team <laughs> in the, the league. I'm not sold what happened. I wasn't a huge fan of Haskins. I have them starting at one and four. Did you do enough at linebacker to not be completely exposed in the passing game by running backs and tight ends like you were last year? And to me, oh, the yeah. answer right now is like barring Sean Deion Hamilton becoming something he's currently not. No. But now Trent Williams is possibly threatening a holdout and doesn't want to play there. They lost their best yak guy in Jameson Crowder this year. It might be a hint that this defense might very well explode before our eyes very soon and in very spectacular fashion. Over-under is at six. I have them winning six. They were abysmal against the run last year despite having a jam-packed defensive line. They took Monte Nicholson out of free safety last year to put Hot Clinton Dix in. That did not work. This is a middling team that's going to stay middling. Michael Kist. Are you copy not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Yeah. 
You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 114, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleedy Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. As always, joined by the best doggone co host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work for the draftnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. Ben. Did you enjoy the the cold open of the Eye on the Enemy of Washington? Dude, that's not only very funny, it's also all still true. Yeah. I.e., you know, I said, listen, if like if you can't beat out Eric Flowers at left guard right through the season, <laughs> no one beat out Eric Flowers at left guard, Mike. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that, that didn't age very well was the Mason Foster thing because they cut him because he's bad. And instead, it's it's John Bostick and Sean Dean Hamilton. We're going to get into all of this as we preview the Eagles and Washington tilt week one action of the NFL. But we do have some divisional news to cover first that I want to touch on before we get too far into the weeds here. The Dallas Cowboys are paying literally everyone. Leo Collins signs a new deal, five-year, $50 million, makes him one of the top five paid right tackles in the league right now. And then the big news this morning, Ezekiel Elliott signing a six-year, $90 million contract with the Cowboys, including $50 million in, in guarantees. So a 15 mil average per year puts him over Todd Gurley. And I, I tweeted this out earlier today. And of course, Cowboys fans are mad about it. But essentially, this is what I'm saying on the offensive side of the ball for the Cowboys. They are paying number one money to their running back, the right guard, yes. Zach Martin, possibly yes. the quarterback, because now we're, we have learned that he wants well above the Wentz deal and the Goff deal is pretty big too, but either one or two quarterback money. Amari Cooper still has to get paid. He's going to want top one, top two money. They're paying top 10 for their left tackle and Tyron Smith. Uh, that's totally justifiable. And then top five money for Leo Collins. That'll probably age itself as the market resets next year. But still, this is all to keep together a 24th ranked DVOA offense. And even with Cooper, in the second half of the season, they went from 25th in DVOA in the first half to 21st in DVOA in the second half. So I don't want to hear, oh, what about Cooper? Because, look, this offense has been great. So Kellen Moore better be a magician. We'll see how all of that works out for them. I loathe paying running backs that amount of money. I don't care who they are. Ben, what were your initial reactions to the signings? Yeah, it's hard to justify paying a running back that much when you're going to make a player the number one highest paid player at his position. You are sinking the cost of your offense or your defense, I guess, if he's on that unit into him, right? You're saying you are the most important player who plays your position. And accordingly, like what logically follows for most coaches and front office members and teams, we're going to use you in a way that no other team uses a player in this position. Why? Because we're paying you more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be more valuable than the other guys. And when... Coaches are going to try to, like, when, when you try to make Ezekiel Elliott more valuable than all the other running backs, when you try to inherently justify the decision that you just made, you just paid Ezekiel Elliott, now you need him to matter a lot. Well, that means you're going to give the ball to him a lot. Hmm. And what we know, you know, among all the various heads of the Hydra that is the debate around running backs and their value, what we know is agnostic of the running back. Running is not as valuable as passing. Hmm. We're positive. There's no doubt. And so you've just shackled your offense to using with regularity, with, 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 with frequency, categorically, yeah. the least efficient offensive approach. <laughs> and you have to 
feed Elliot like a bell cow. Why? Because you just paid him $15 million a year. You cannot put him in a timeshare with Tony Pollard. You cannot become a pass-first offense unless you're okay with looking quite stupid quite quickly. (laughs) Which, if you you are, great. You know what I mean? Because the thing about sunk cost is that it is a fallacy, right? Like, you do... You, you should make the highest expected value decision regardless of what you did yesterday. But that's not how humans work, you know? And so we're going to... The, the Cowboys are, are going to make Ezekiel Elliott as featured a part of their offense as any running back in the league, which is not good news for Dallas because passing is more efficient than running on a, on a league-wide level and on a team level. It's more efficient for the Cowboys, who have historically ran the ball a lot and ran it pretty well. You're also paying your quarterback... To carry the offense. Who's carrying the offense? If, if you're paying the quarterback number one money, not only that, I think it's funny too. Stephen Jones came out and said that they comped Tony Pollard to Alvin Kamara. And, and people have said to me, well, if you can have Alvin Kamara and Zeke, how is that a bad thing? If you have Alvin Kamara, you don't have to pay Zeke that type of money. You have right. Alvin Kamara. <laughs> right. And, and, and remarkably, this is not Alvin Kamara and Zeke Elliott on the same price tag. Right. This is Alvin Kamara on a fraction of the price tag, yeah. which... Is, is where the decision is made. And I hear you, right? The same logic by which I say once you pay Elliott, you're going to have to run the football a lot. Or once you pay Dak, you're going to have to throw the ball a lot, right? Because he's Dak. Well, what we know of the Cowboys specifically now in this instance is that, no, they're not going to do that with Dak. They've needed to throw the ball more with Dak. They've needed to make Dak the focal point of the offense. They just retained the guy, Elliott, who takes touches away from Dak. Right. At a huge price tag. And they're going to give Dak the same huge price tag because they're fearful of, of, of losing him and dropping completely off a cliff in terms of quarterback play, which is perfectly fair. But as you brought up, you're retaining an offense that was not very competitive uh, on the league scale last year. And, you know, like the um, the, the Jalen Smith and Lyle Collins extensions uh, both highlight this to me in the sense that the Cowboys front office is clearly adamant, is certain that they have all the pieces they need to win the Super Bowl. They're not trying to add... Anybody else? They added Robert Quinn. Now we have guy opposite uh, Demarcus Lawrence. We're good. Yep. Right now we have the pieces. We're going to go win a Super Bowl. So we have to keep all these guys here. So we have as many cracks at the bat as possible. But you and I would argue there is not much evidence of that. And especially on the offensive side of the, uh, of the ball, mm-hmm. and honestly, like the defense outside of the front four. Yeah. But not only that, as you brought up, the straw that stirs the drink now is Kellen Moore because if Moore doesn't get it right, what are we doing? Right. What are we doing? We're spending. More money on single players at most offensive positions than any other team in the league. We have invested in second contract, third contract offensive players at a remarkably elite level. We're the first year offensive coordinator who's been in the NFL coaching for like three years. I mean, if you didn't get it right with more, this ship's going to go down fast. And there's going to be a lot of tough questions you have to answer. He's going to be out of scapegoats. And if you get a half bad, half good, decent, got better as the year went on season from Moore. What do you do? <laughs> this is first year coordinating. It's first year calling plays. You're not exactly sure what he is. If there was a learning curve, you're going to retain him. And what we know of the Cowboys, they like to retain coaches who, you know, have some promise. And, and, and you know, Jason Garrett's been there for he's the third longest tenured head coach or something like that. <laughs> right? And this is a guy who, who, who has... Middle you know, results. over the past couple of years had more winning seasons, but for the first four years wasn't putting out winning winning seasons. Yeah. So it, 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 there's a lot riding on more to figure this out. Yeah. Because it's going to be Prescott, Elliott, and Cooper. 
for the next four years. Yeah. Somebody's got to get it right. And it's got to get it right from a, a balance perspective. It's got to get it right from a design perspective. Uh, it's going to be on more, but then also on Garrett to keep it right from a locker room perspective. I mean, the Eagles are one of the happiest, go luckiest, most efficient offenses in the league. And last year, Alshon Jeffrey, we think, was complaining about the targets that Zach Ertz <laughs> was getting. You got to feed a lot of mouths who are getting a lot of money. So the, yeah, this is... um. Uh, uh, you respect the Cowboys for going all in. You understand why they did it. For sure. You made the bed. You drafted the players. Now you're going to lie in it. Nobody wants to draft a running back fourth overall and then not pay him when he's good because you want to pay a guy that you drafted who ended up being good because you feel like you were right. Again, it's a human instinct, and I get it. Now it's this team. He's being treated very much like the Rams team. Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley also getting market-setting contracts. You've got to go win a Super Bowl with this team now. Yeah. You made the bed. Got to lie in it. Absolutely. And that money gets more difficult. And we'll see, you know, a lot of teams are banking on the future with the CBA in 2021 to give them some relief. But if not, the Cowboys are in big time trouble when it comes to that. So they have to win now. And Moore has got to show out in his season, his rookie season as an offensive play caller. So I'm glad we had that news to talk about because the other thing that we have to talk about here is is Washington and they're not very good. And before I we dive in, I do want to plug a couple of past shows that we did pertaining to Washington. These were back in June and were part of our yearly Eye on the Enemy series. You heard snippets of that from the Kisten Solak show episode 99. And a few days later, we had a special Eye on the Enemy featuring special guest Mark Bullock of The Athletic, uh, who covers them as well. Bullock will be on this feed tomorrow as he gives his opinion on the upcoming week. Week one divisional showdown, and he always brings great info and analysis to the table. But for now, you're stuck with me and Ben, and we're stuck trying to figure out what unique angle we can really get out of this game where the heavily favored Eagles take on Washington at home. And let, let's start with news on that front from Trent Williams. This is from Ian Rappaport, quote, this was the expectation, but now official left tackle Trent Williams did not show up at the team facility today to practice with his team. His holdout continues into the regular season and he won't play Sunday at least. So that is a massive hit to the Redskins who will be starting Eric Flowers and Donald Penn on the left side of their line. If they want to get anything going whatsoever, Keith Kano, Keith Kano, Case Kano, Case, yeah. <laughs> Case, I feel like the Washington owner saying Kurt, Kurt Cousins. So, okay. Case Keenum, the stud, the journeyman, is buns, just poo-poo under pressure. And he is going to see a lot of it from this Eagles interior defensive line. And then, you know, they also have to get the running game going. But this is a team that for the first half on first down ran third most and had like the fourth worst efficiency. Or like you flip the numbers, it's the same thing. They ran it a lot. They were bad on and on early downs. And if they find themselves in third and long situations, it is going to be trouble. So what's your reaction to this news before we formally get into breaking down the matchups, Ben? Right. So there's, you know, worse things in the world than having Donald Penn as your backup left tackle. Like Penn, Penn, Penn's a good player on the decline, but he's still, you know, the first half of that is a good player. And so Penn's going to be able to survive out there against Derek Barnett and against Josh Sweat when he catches these players on the left side. It's not Garen Christian, that's for sure. Yeah. The second half of that, of course, is in decline, uh, which is that, you know, (laughs) Penn's 36, I think. It's not been, you know, and there's a reason why Oakland decided to move on from him and put Colton Miller in. Most of the reason being that they're trying to justify the Colton Miller pick, which is a bad pick. But Some cost also fallacy, because, baby. Yeah, no, ben, uh, Penn, Penn's not been as strong in, in recent seasons as he was. He on the left side then with Eric Flowers next to him and then Chase Roulier uh, in the interior, who Roulier is panning out very nicely for what I think was like a fifth round pick yeah. uh, out of Wyoming. But... He's not one of the top centers in the league. So you've got a 
real weak left side of the line. Now, Sunday, Doug Peterson told us all the unhealthy camp players were going to play. Fletcher Cox, Dallas Goddard, Ronald Darby, Ronnie McLeod, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Today, which is Wednesday when we're recording, it was, we'll see who plays on Sunday. So we've kind of stepped back <laughs> from that. So there's a chance that there's no Fletch, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Timmy Jernigan and Malik Jackson, pretty solid starting defensive tackle duo. Hassan Ridgeway, fan friend of the pod, uh, as your rotational guy. Survivable, not an issue, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, no Fletch, obviously, you're losing the best player on your defensive line, they're losing the best player on their offensive line, kind of tips the scales a little bit. But clearly... Like, even with Williams, the Eagles' defensive line has the advantage over the Redskins' offensive line. And without him, uh, you, you still have a big advantage here. I mean, this is going to be another game where, and we'll say it all year, this is the first preview, so we might as well ring the bell. The Eagles are going to get pressure with four, and it's going to be what makes their defense go. In my head, Darby, Yeah. if he's anywhere less than 99%, I don't play him. I don't need to. Right. It's Terry McLaurin, Paul Richardson, and Trey Quinn. Right. Yeah, like, and that's and like I like McLaurin, and like I've always been a little bit of a Paul Richardson stand, but like we don't we like we're, we're gonna survive out there. We'll uh, apparently, <laughs> it's Sidney Jones over Rasul Douglas on the outside if Darby goes. Yep. I do not rock with this. I rock with it. At what point in their careers has Sidney Jones played better than Rasul Douglas? I mean, when Sidney was healthy in the beginning of the year last year, absolutely played at a higher level than Douglas has ever played at. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Well, you I know what? I did. I said. <laughs> That's what that. That's what that was. I'm a Rasul fan, but that's just. The I don't. Facts. I don't know. No, to me, even college, he was better than him. That's why they were drafted where they were. I agree, but if we're <laughs> out here putting 2019 starters off of 2017, 2016 college film, I give you an example from last year too. At his high points, I do not agree with the idea that Rasool, that Cindy Jones' healthy play at the beginning of last year is better than Rasul Douglas has ever looked. I think that's incorrect. I think that that you're stupid. Douglas at the end of last season was playing high quality ball yeah i agree he was playing really well yes sydney was playing with his freaking hair on fire but it's it's an interesting sydney, choice yes which he was doing in, at what position again outside corner outside corner at, outside, no 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 no. at nickel but hey in the slot so what avante, avante maddox played great in the slot played great you know well played okay oh at cool safety. a different player that's a great example and then played outside just fine these these defensive backs for the eagles have versatility which is fantastic so right who knows? I hear you. and i'm not saying good corner play precludes jones from playing well on the outside i'm just saying that jones's issues which is with strength and size are a little bit more easily hidden often in the slot than they are to the outside i agree um i think that that douglas has earned uh, that starting job over Sydney by virtue of quality play and also like availability. I get it in terms of you want to get Jones out there when he's actually healthy and really see what you have here. Um, but either way, start a petition. It's yeah. Well, well I I don't think that this receiving core presents a huge threat to the Eagles' corners, regardless of who goes out. In general, correct. It's a good week one game to have when a lot of your starters did not play in the preseason, Mike, For because sure. the Washington Redskins roster yeah. is not good. It's not. Yeah. So well, well, I I think that the loss of Trent Williams just means that there's more pressure, quicker pressure on Case Keenum than there was going to be in the first place. I think that this is a team the Eagles are very familiar with. It's a head coach in Jay Gruden who they're very familiar with, and they've regularly beaten over Doug Peterson's tenure, Jim Schwartz's tenure as well. It's a pretty cut-and-dry West Coast offense. It doesn't have tremendous weapons. So you're in a, a, a zone drop, rally, and tackle situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is a, The Eagles are going to give up yards, but not a ton of points. They're going to get some turnovers, especially because it's Keenum there in the offensive backfield. And we know that Keenum can struggle to protect the football. We know that he's not great against pressure. If anybody doesn't believe me, you can watch the 2017 NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. Eagles have the number. 
of a lot of the key players on offense for Washington in this matchup. There's no reason to expect that this team struggles with the Redskins. I'm not going to say trap game because it's week one, but <laughs> there's, there's, the Eagles have clear advantages across the board. It needs to be a blowout. And like you were alluding to, as much as we complain about the cushion that the Schwartz defense gives, and it does lead to some interesting results in the intermediate areas of the field, though, because defensively last year, and I looked this up via Football Outsiders, as banked up as they were, the Eagles were number one defensive DVOA against dig routes and against deep crossers, which those routes are all over Gruden's offense. And I'm not worried about the routes where the Eagles struggled with last year as much, considering the, the talent opposite of them. That's the, the post routes and the go routes. So if the Eagles can squat on the intermediate stuff and just rally, like you said, I mean, that's exactly what Schwartz wants. I didn't know that football outsiders did DVOA against specific routes. Yeah, they just they just dropped it, I want to say, like four or five days ago. Ben, catch That's up. so cool. I know, I agree. It's pretty Please cool. Please send me the link to that. I will. I would like to investigate it. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's, what, that's what I very much agree with what you said up until the point where you mentioned that that's a thing that exists. And then I stopped listening because so I was excited about the fact that that's a thing that exists. So there's that. And then also, you know, you look, you look at the, uh, the line matchups for, for the Eagles and... Look, the, the Redskins are going to have to run the ball. The, prob the problem is Washington's line last year, they were 28th in the rate in which they were stuffed for zero or negative yards and 26th in adjusted line yards, again, per football outsider. So if there's a matchup that I absolutely love this week for the entire league, it's the Eagles defensive line against Washington's offensive line, especially when you look at the left side, like we already talked about with Penn and Flowers. Like Flowers might get abused by five or six different guys as this thing shakes out. And Keenum only once in his career has had an above average quarterback rating under pressure. That was his severe outlier season in 2017. So things look bleak in the trenches for Washington. Philadelphia should just chow down on this offensive line. And I can't see, and we talked about this on Eye on the Enemy, I can't see them threatening vertically. Like there, there's nothing to me that says they can score over 18 points, which is if we're doing the math on the line, the Eagles, when I saw it, they were favored by 10. I'm seeing nine and a half in other places, but they're favored by 10. The over-under is 46. That's saying that the it'll be 28 to 18. To yeah, exactly. Yeah. So would you take the over or under on 18 points, Ben, for the Washington offense? I mean, I'm taking the under. Yeah. Uh, Shocker. You know, you got to show me the known quantity on offense here. Jordan Reed. Qu questionable to play. They're confident he will play, quote unquote. But right. words are words and reality is reality. <laughs> right. It's like Jordan Reed and Brandon Scherf. Yeah. And like Adrian Peterson, but Darius Geis is starting. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weak and rebuilding roster. Uh, and that's the reality. Now, I don't want to say, you know, it should be a blowout. They should hold him to X. You know what I mean? I think that they will hold him to less than 18. Um, but I think there's going to be rust. It's a week. It's a week one game. You know what I mean. And I also don't necessarily think that it's you know actually that's not true because Carson's probably really going to be up for it because yeah. it's his first start back and then you know he feels fully healthy again and everything like that. I just don't want to throw huge expectations on a week one game where you know you can take a few drives kind of settle in. Of course, as I actually saw floating around on Twitter today, Carson Wentz season opening drive three out of three years has been a touchdown. <laughs> so. Hey. 75 yards to Deshaun Jackson incoming. Let's go. Uh, if they get even close to the Vic to Jackson play against the Redskins, I will lose my mind. Oh, yeah. But so I don't I don't want to put on the, you know, kind of hang the it should be a blowout. The Eagles need to make a statement and weave one thing around their necks a little bit just because I'm going to. I, it's, yeah. it's it, this this is not a good team. This is not a good team. And, and they should be able to do whatever they want to do. And we're going to talk about offense after the break, but they should be able to do whatever they want to do to this defense. And the offense doesn't scare me whatsoever it should be a blowout there's a reason that they're 10 point favorites is that the biggest line this it, week it is and 
even if, like for instance, if they don't cover, okay, no big deal. If 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 they push it ten because of a late garbage time score, or whatever, I don't care about that. It should not be a contest in the second half. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like they should always be firmly in the driver's seat from the word go, from their first drive, scoring a touchdown, oh, wow. never give up control. I, I can't see Washington taking a lead in this game unless it's like three to nothing to start the game, depending on who gets the ball first. Like that, that's how I feel about this game. This is not a good team. I took the under on yeah. six wins. You should not be in competitive games with teams like this. I don't care if it's a divisional round or not. It's Case Keenum. Get it done. Yeah. So, yeah. So the Eagles, it opened up at 7.5 and has now risen to 9.5, which not only makes it tied for the biggest line, it's also one of the biggest line movements thus far since the line was set. Yeah. Only line that's moved more is Baltimore, Miami. It's moved whole three and a half points. Too many Christmas and Arizona, Detroit. Oh no, no, excuse me. That's only one and a half points. So yeah, only Baltimore, Miami has moved more. <laughs> and Miami just gave away their team. So yeah, right. Exactly. Well, yeah. I was thinking it opened up at uh, Baltimore minus three and a half. It's now Baltimore minus seven. Yeah, uh, which is a, a huge line movement yeah. for uh, uh, the, the span of time this has been open. But then, yeah, so Philly's also got, like, one of the biggest line movements and one of the largest lines. So, yeah, I mean, this is expected to be a huge win for the Eagles by uh, Vegas thus far. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And like you said, offense after the break, I think if there's a unit with rust, it is the offense. And we're going to see how they gel together, and we'll break down some of the matchups that we like when we come back here on the Kist and Solak show. We'll be right back. We are back here on Bleeding Green Nation, Kist and Solak show, Michael Kist. Here with Benjamin Solak, episode 114. Look, let's break down the offensive side of the ball for this Washington-Philadelphia matchup. And I think there, there, there's a question in the air right now, Ben. And who knows how quickly this show will age itself with this, but I haven't seen any movement yet. The Eagles are, of course, a heavy 12 personnel team. They only have two tight ends rostered. And Doug Peterson has recently said that if they need a third tight end, they just might use Andre Dillard, which is really just six offensive linemen, heavy set, without a pass-catching right. element added to it. If they throw a pass to the rookie first-round <laughs> offensive tackle heir apparent to Jason Peters in week one against the Washington Redskins, I'll be happy, yeah. but I will not be happy. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go Andre Dillard touchdown. That's my bold prediction for this game. But the, the Eagles have done this before. I mean, they did it last year. They would roll out Big V or they would roll out Isaac Ciamalo, depending on who was starting at that point in the year. Like that's they, they run those heavy sets every now and then. It's just a heavy 12 personnel. It's not necessarily 13 personnel. What, what do you think they do? Do you think they, they roll with that configuration, or do they call up somebody like Alex? Do they do they need to? Right. So I, we actually got this question. Uh, we did a, a Reddit AMA yeah, we did. yesterday, which was a lot of fun. It was a whole Bleeding Green staff that did it. It was a good time. And this is actually one of the questions that we got, which was they're at 12 personnel right now. Do you think they run more 11 to protect, you know, they, they only got two tight ends to protect people from injury. Like, they don't have the depth to run 12 if one of them gets hurt, which I don't exactly agree with because you, if you're running 11 to protect having 12, if your tight end goes down, i.e. Ertz, who's playing at 11, then you have to play an 11 anyway. So it's not like you're really protecting 12 by not playing two tight ends. If you lose a tight end, you can't play 12 as much regardless of if you were in 12 or if you were 11. Mm. That said... Yeah, you're going to have to play more 11 than perhaps you would if you had a third tight end who you really liked, simply because, you know, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard need a drink. Like, it's, you know, they, there's there's not going to be uh, as much ability to rotate in a Josh Perkins or an Alex Ellis or a Richard Rodgers or any tight end three right. to stay in 12 personnel when one of them needs to come off the field. You know, so, so there's going to be more 11 personnel by default of how thin they are at tight end right now. That being said, it is Wednesday. If they go into Sunday with 
just two tight ends, just Goddard and Ertz rostered, I'll be very surprised. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense mm. in terms of we know that they want to run 12 personnel. We know that they want to get Dallas Goddard out on the field, and we know that they've rostered Josh Perkins before. What's What am I missing? You know, what's, what's the hold up here? Yeah. Josh Perkins obviously currently still on the practice squad. So I don't know. Maybe they were looking to see if they could grab a tight end off of waivers who they liked who got cut. Maybe it is something like figuring out six offensive linemen sets that they're going to use as a different look. Maybe it truly is that the 12 personnel was a whole red herring and they're going to be one of the <laughs> heaviest 11 personnel teams in the league. They added a wide receiver in J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. They really could do it if they wanted to. I'll be very disappointed. I don't think it's what's happening, but maybe it is, yeah. you know, so. Maybe they maybe they want to use uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I keep saying it wrong and it's going to be really difficult Right, because we, we, when, when he was at Stanford, it was Arcega. Yeah. So we have, right. you know, a lot of stuck in our heads. Why are we changing it now? You get to the NFL, you suddenly change your name. What are you, Mitchell Trubisky? What's going on here? But well, no, I think a lot of college kids do that because, like, they're you know, like they they're stuck with the broadcast people knowing them in college. NFL, you kind of have an opportunity to switch things up. Also, Arthega Whiteside is BA. Like, let's be honest. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So Arthega Whiteside, like, they can use him as a blocker. They can condense him down. They can motion him. They can use him a lot, and he can be. I mean. He's just about an effective blocker as Alex Ellis right now in Alex's career. So I don't I don't see why not on that front. So they can bring him in and kind of get heavier on the wide receiver side just from the play strength and blocking chops that, that J-Jaw has. So that's an interesting way to look at it too. And really, you're looking at the matchups to exploit in this game. I'm wondering if Josh Norman, who is supremely overrated, follows Alshon Jeffrey like he did in week 17 last year because if not you're leaving him on Deshaun Jackson which is just like if you see that play one then yeah you're going to get that 75 yarder but so we'll we'll see how Washington decides to play that and that'll help guide the Eagles in their decision making on how to attack I would expect the Eagles to move Jeffrey from right to left on the first drive same thing with Deshaun just to force a reaction from Washington and then you kind of go from there you've also got Nelson Aguilar going up against Fabian Moreau in the slot. Then the combination of the safeties, Landon Collins, Monte Nicholson, and the linebackers, which we can also include, along with John Bostick and Sean Dion Hamilton, we can include their dime linebacker, Josh Harvey Clemens. Uh, basically, those guys will, going, will be going up against Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz in the running back. So my guess is that Norman on Jeffrey playing press more than not, Dunbar on Jackson playing off more than not, as Washington tends to play that way anyway and just lock those matchups. Yeah, so Doug had a quote today uh, that he expects Norman to track Jeffrey, which mm-hmm. I think is what they've done previously, and is no reason to stop now. Uh, you've only lost the last like five games against the Eagles. Um, <laughs> Good point. Right, so yeah. so the expectation is to track Jeffrey. I'm telling you right now, it's a matchup win for Jeffrey. That does leave uh, Deshaun Jackson on the opposite side up against Quentin Dunbar. I'm here to tell you that's a matchup win for Deshaun. Nelson Aguilar over Fabian Moreau in the slot. I'm here to tell you it's a win for Nelson Aguilar in the slot. Uh, And then Zach Ertz against literally anybody. I'm here to tell you it's a win for Zach Ertz. So from a man-on-man matchup perspective, should be strong here. Uh, I talked about the fear for Russ. Number one, it's going to be Carson Wentz's first live game reps in seven months, eight months, whatever the heck it is. It's been a while. Uh, and, and, and as we know with Carson, he likes to push a little bit. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he was perhaps a little too over eager, yeah. a little chomping too much at the bit. You know, another quote that Peterson had from the presser today was like, well, you know, what's your advice to Carson? And he's like, my advice to Carson is my advice to everybody. Don't try to do everything yourself, mm-hmm. but let's be honest. That's his advice to Carson. Uh, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's very Carson specific. Yeah. So, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Carson come out and push a little bit, be a little aggressive, uh, perhaps 
attempt some throws that he shouldn't be attempting, get downfield, and really he should just take the easy stuff that's in front of him. We do have to remember the Eagles do have a completely different running back room yet again, uh, and they've got to figure out what exactly that looks like. Obviously, Jordan Howard's been in the league for a little bit, but you and I are both not super high on Howard as a big impact player rushing the football. And then it's Miles Sanders, the rookie, who everybody's excited about, but has questions. you and I have both projected for a while now that Sanders is going to get eased into the offense as the year goes on. So I don't expect him to have a big part in week one. The Eagles go from having a big part in week one. That's great. That's really cool. That's that's a good example of, you know, we traded for Jordan Howard, but acknowledging that in camp Sanders has been the more dynamic player and acknowledging that that, that Sanders is the future, we're not going to kind of force feed Howard because we got him. We're going to give Sanders touch because he's a more dynamic player. And that's kind of the sunk cost fallacy that we talked about, that's, you know, beating that out with, with, with good decision-making. So we'll see. It'd be nice to see Sanders more involved than Howard. I just don't expect it. And then, and this is the thing that I bring up, another AMA question we had was, besides a Carson injury, what are you the most worried about mm. in terms of killing the season? And my answer was, figuring out the balance in terms of offensive targets, who gets targeted where and at what depth and on what downs and in the red zone and how much. And so the the, the Eagles, Doug Peterson and Mike Groh, who's... Didn't have a great debut season. Yeah. Could not figure out how to integrate Golden Tate into the offense. Yeah. Has got to figure out how to integrate J.J. Arthigo Whiteside and Deshaun Jackson into the offense. Obviously, they had a lot more time than they did with Golden Tate. They have their starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. He's healthy. It helps. Yeah. But you've got a ton of really good pass catching weapons. At least one is not going to get the number of targets that he deserves. It's just, just unless you're throwing the ball 80 times a game. Correct. You know? And 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 the the players know that. Like, there's no way Ertz, Alshon, Jackson, Goddard, Aguilar, Arthur Whiteside don't know that there's going to be games where they just do not get the targets that they warrant in terms of their talent. There's just too many mouths to feed. This is the first game where we're really going to see all those players out there on the field together and figure out: Is Alshon a five-step slant RPO player, or is he a back shoulder fade twenty yards down the field player? Is Deshaun Jackson? a one-step slant and run player, or is he exclusively taking the top off, running nine routes every single time? Nelson Aguilar, one of the best intermediate route runners for the Philadelphia Eagles. But you have Zach Ertz and you have Alshon Jeffrey, who are also great in the intermediate area. How much is Aguilar going to get there? J.J. Arthigo-Whiteside, one of the best red zone threats to ever come out of college football draft in the second round. Are you going to take Alshon Jeffrey? Are you going to take Deshaun Jackson off the field to put him out there inside the 20? Mm. We don't know the answer to any of these questions yet. Yeah. So there's going to be some... You know, mad scientist, Erlenmeyer flask, pour this into that, stir this with this, let this <laughs> sit, put this on fire. You know, it's going to be some experimenting. Mm-hmm. There has to be because no one knows exactly how this offense and its weapons are going to gel just yet. Yeah. L- l- little to nothing being said of Carson Wentz's chemistry with guys like Deshaun Jackson and, and J.J. Arthigo-Whiteside, which has been talked about as good in camp. But, you know, a regular season live game is a different breed. And so... There's some figuring and finagling out to do that makes me just a, a little bearish on saying the Eagles offense is going to roll out and put pour 35 points on in three quarters and have, you know, Josh McCown out there by eight minutes left in the fourth. Like, I'm not there because I just want to – we know this team's good on paper. We got to see it in practice. Yeah, and I want to get your prediction on that in a little bit. But first thing I want to do is talk about you, – you were talking about the running backs and you are talking about, you know – Carson Wentz, how can we make life easier for Carson? And then how can the running game get going? Every week, Pro Football Focus puts out their O-line versus D-line matchup chart. Uh, despite the beef up front in the middle for the Redskins, they have the Eagles with the biggest advantage of the week in terms of run blocking on offense and the second biggest advantage in pass blocking. Turns out PFF really loves the Eagles offensive line. They ranked them number one in the league for their overall unit. Still, you're talking Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Ryan Kerrigan, 
you know, also the rookie Montez Sweat. Ryan Anderson is a really good run defender. So it's a little surprising to me that the seesaw tilts that hard in favor of the Eagles for PFF. And overall, I'm not sure that the run game is going to see huge results. It's a bit of a mixed bag against Washington last year, despite hitting well over 100 yards in both games, which weren't contest routes. So game script has something to do with the volume there. And look, maybe I'm wrong because we talk about interior all the time, and yet they, Washington's interior all the time, yet they still struggled against the run last year. And they're going to be playing Sean Dion Hamilton and John Bostic at linebacker, which let me tell you. Let us not slander Sean Dion Hamilton on this podcast. And I, and I think SDH can become something solid. I think there's upside there. So I, I'm with you. You know I was an SDH fan when he came That was out. as soft as was acceptable. Uh what am I looking for? Testimony, a reference for Sean John Hamilton. You barely <laughs> made the cut, Tiger. All right. Well, at least I made it. But look, John Bostick's like a blind dog at a meat house. He's going to run at literally everything. <laughs> and SDH is still very inexperienced. So you're talking play action is going to pull them out of the areas in which they need to be. Different motions, different misdirections. You just show them one thing. Hit him with another thing. I have full confidence that this offense should be able to manipulate the second level and do enough on the offensive line against that defensive line to be successful. So uh, wh- what do you think? The, is that what you think? More play action, more misdirection against this against this Washington line and linebacker set? I mean, I expect a, a full return to an RPO system that the Eagles moved away from slightly in, in 2018, something that, that I wrote about in the big Eagles offense piece. So yeah, you'll get more play action that way, just in terms of run fakes, misdirection, backfield, chicanery, and foolishness. <laughs> yes, so you expect that for sure. I don't think that, as I kind of brought up with uh, Jeffrey Ertz, Deshaun, going through those those matchups, I don't think this is necessary necessarily a team where the Eagles are going to need to scheme guys open as much. They're not going to need to run a ton of complex route ideas and and, and using this direction to kind of open easy windows they're going to, because that's what Doug Peterson does regularly. That's what the marriage of spread on West Coast does for Peterson. It's easy, open windows, quick throws, first read, here we go. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, Alshon Jeffrey's going to be winning back shoulder fades 15 yards down the field more often than not. Deshaun Jackson's going to be winning deep ball opportunities more often than not. You will see more play action specifically on because Deshaun is here, and those are going to be the routes you want to target him on. They're going to be deep routes that you're going to want to use play action to take the bite off the pass rush and extend the time in the pocket so that Deshaun can get down the field. So I think you will see those concepts there. But this, you know, the the, the Peterson offense is is shotgun, quick distribution. If there is play action fake, it's from the shotgun. It's a quick ball fake to the running back just to freeze a guy for half a second and then hit, <clears throat> excuse me, and then hit a window right off of his shoulder. And so more play action, never a bad thing. Mm. Don't anticipate it being a huge part of the Eagles offense in and of itself. As it is a part of the RPO game, I think you could see a... a, a increase there but this is gonna uh, it's gonna stay the Doug Peterson system which was successful with Carson Wentz in 2017 which now has better weapons than it did in 2017. So what are you taking because before I said the the line was at 10 or around 10 like nine and a half and then the over under is 46 you said the under for the Washington offense that's 28 points for the Eagles offense last year they scored 28 and 24 points against Washington this offense is better than last year they're fresh it's week one time to make a statement Last year, they didn't score 30 points until week six against the Giants. It only takes 60 minutes this year. I'm going to say that the Eagles easily hit 28 in a, in a blowout win. 35, 38-ish around there. I'm thinking a 35, 38, maybe 13 game tops. Oh, 10? man, I was hoping you were going to say 38-7. It's like, oh, God, 38-7. case. I love it. I love it. 38-7 Eagles is my prediction. Yeah. What do you think for the Eagles offense here? Right. I'm going to give them like 27. On uh, 28, that's where I'm going to put them. Like I said, I think it's going to take a few drives. 
just to, to get us in a good spot. There's going to be explosive plays, though. There's going to be uh, you know, turnovers by the defense getting short fields, in my opinion. So I don't think it's going to be a hard day for the offense. I just think, you know, we're, we're going to have some miscues early. It's it's week one. How, how much how much do you put into that? Because it's not just on the offense for scoring. How much do you put in, into that, the, the situations that the defense is able going to, going to be able to get the offense into via the way of turnovers, harassing Keenum and whatnot? Because that kind of plays into it for me as well. Sure. I just generally want to be lower than you are given the narrative of the podcast no so, so i'll put them at like i'll put them at 27 i'll put them at 28 i think the redskins score six to ten right yeah. don't worry about this offense at all i think the redskins do have a solid front seven i think the redskins will be able to get after carson wentz with four of something that, that they have done successfully over the past couple of years and so 27 six eagles over the redskins this should not be close right I agree. If it is, someone wrong. So I, I had a bold prediction earlier. Andre Dillard catches his first touchdown as a pro in his first game. I'm also going to say Boy. that Carson Wentz uh, gets rid of the ball. Time to throw, and we'll see this when the analytics are released. Time to throw under 2.4. You got to protect him. Give him That's one of his zero-to-one step reads like they gave Nick Foles. Get the ball out. Be a facilitator. Kind of force him into that role a little bit. And I think that would be good for Carson and for his health as well. So that's something I'm at least hoping for. I've been making that argument for the second offseason in a row now. Uh, ben, any bold predictions from you before we get out of here? Or you just want to you just want to hit the old dusty trail? Coward. Malik Jackson, one and a half sacks. One and a half sacks. That's and not too big. Go to two. And then it's bold. One and a half. Go to two. One and a half. That's not bold. One and a half is basically two. Do you have any idea how freely they give out half sacks in this generation? Unbelievable. Millennials. <laughs> so that's a full sack and then him getting a piece of a foot as Fletcher Cox just demolishes Case yeah. Keenum. Remember, for defensive <laughs> tackles, it, defensive tackles create the pressure. Right. Other guys clean it up. Mm, not I have bold. no analytic basis for that whatsoever. <laughs> It's just what I'm saying for the one and a half sacks from Malik Jackson. Okay, so he's gonna he's gonna be on pace for what yeah. is that twenty four sacks after this game? Well, that's the thing we have we have our bold predictions for the Eagles twenty nineteen season coming out in bleeding green, which is like a, a community post with all the writers. Yeah, my particular one is that Malik Jackson leads the Eagles in sacks. Oh, okay, there we go. See, uh, yeah. hey, it's gonna be like close. him with eight and a half, Flesh with eight, <laughs> yeah. Brandon Graham with eight, right. Derek Brown with seven and a half, but it's still leading. <laughs> So, Ben, that's going to do it for this preview for the for the terrible Washington football team against the Philadelphia Eagles in week one. Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? It was a preview show for a real game. And you listened. <laughs> We're going to have film soon. the season is here. We're going to have coaches film soon, Ben. I'm so excited about that. Right, exactly. No we'll actually know if this team is good or not because we'll be able to see the All-22. Right. Unlike in the preseason where we could not see it, we <laughs> did not know whether or not this team was good. I need my eyes. Which, by the way... <laughs> I want to commend the people of Eagles Nation, of Eagles fandom, because for the first year since I can remember doing this, the Eagles were bad in the preseason, and nobody was like, nobody cared. this is bad! <laughs> like, no, no, nobody cared, right? Which is great news for the growth of the fan base. We're like, yeah, this is pointless. Good, we're doing our jobs. If people are like, preseason doesn't matter. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, no, we have Eagles live football on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Eagles, Redskins. I don't remember if it's a home game. I think it's away. Yeah, it's definitely away. So, FedEx Field. Lincoln Financial. Lincoln Financial Field. Dang it, I thought I knew and I didn't. <laughs> um, Lincoln Financial Field. That's a regular Let's season. Go. Week then. one, tailgating time. Um, by the way, over under 2.5. People who come dressed as the Eagles offensive line was dressed in the ESPN body issue. Just with the Eagles mask waistband thing. So as a group nothing else. or individually? No, individually, 
Oh. Like just total, total people. Total people. One plus group. or minus 2.5 who are tailgating at 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday wearing an Eagles mask over their Johnson and nothing else. I guarantee you one group has that friend that's going to gas them up to do it and they're they're going right. to be stupid enough to do it. That's an easy Which order. I will I'm commend slamming. categorically. Now, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on Twitter. It's hilarious. It's, anyway. Yeah. Something. Thank you for listening to the Kissed and Soul Life Show here on Bleeding Green Nation. We do appreciate you swinging by. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please go ahead and leave a rating, a review, and subscription on iTunes or on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Five star ratings, only ones that are accepted. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L A K. He's on Twitter at Michael Kissed NFL. That's K I S T. Throughout the week, more Eagles and Redskins content, as well as more content on Ezekiel Elliott, maybe. Uh, updates on Trent Williams, yep. talking about injuries, mm-hmm. things that you need to know to prepare for Sunday's game. We love you. We are friends. The Eagles are back. The Super Bowl path begins here. Were you done? Yeah, I was going to say, I was, the problem was the next thing I was going to say was, was we're all we got. And I was like, that's not my job. <laughs> you should have just right? I was like, this would be a good ending. Yeah. And then I was like, but I'm not allowed to say it. Okay. Okay. So now I got to reset the three, two. We all we got. We yeah. all we need. That's what? Point. Fly I'm Eagles. Green. Fly Eagles fly. Yeah. <laughs>